I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, we will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book, A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit the Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. If you feel inspired to make a love offering, please visit us at miraclevoices.org forward slash donate. All donations go to support the work of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of A Course in Miracles. Now here's your program. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Miracle Voices. I'm here with my co-host, Judy Scutch-Whitson. Hi, Judy. Hi, Matt. I'm delighted to be with us today and our guests, too. Yes, Teresa McGallagher, welcome to Miracle Voices. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Teresa is the guest today, and she is coming to us from where, Teresa? Carmichael's, Pennsylvania. Okay. And how's the weather there today? Pretty good? It's very hot. Okay. Okay. Well, Teresa, we'd like to get started just by kind of understanding how the course came into your life. Do you mind sharing that? Sure. So I actually found A Course in Miracles in 1988. And at that time in my life, I was um, doing 12-step work with Al-Anon. And I bought a book that had something to do with healing through 12 steps that kept mentioning A Course in Miracles. I kept reading quotes and I didn't know what A Course in Miracles was. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it, but I felt very compelled to find out more. So as soon as I had a chance, I went to a bookstore and purchased a copy of it. Okay. And what, what kind of happened after that as you started integrating the principles into your life? Did you notice any changes? Oh, yes. So what I did was I opened up the text and I tried to read it and I couldn't understand it. It looked like gobbledygook. And I also (laughs) felt a little suspicious. I was like, who wrote this book and who published this book and why isn't there more information? And of course, that was back in the days before the Internet when you couldn't just look things up. So um, instead of reading the text, what I did was I started doing the workbook lessons I was always a good student and I like structure and I like having directions to follow. And so that was where I began with the course. And what I would do is write each workbook lesson on a three by five card and take it into work with me and prop it up in front of my computer so that I could remind myself of the lesson throughout the day. And I did that for about the first 50 lessons and things started a shift for me. I was at that time in my life in my 20s involved in a real toxic relationship with an older man. And I was very unhappy, but I didn't know how to get out of it or how to change him or how to change myself. And the course doing those first 50 workbook lessons started to give me a sense of peace and detachment and the ability to see that I could have a different life. I didn't have to be stuck in the one that I was in. Okay. You know, it's really interesting, Teresa, as you were talking, I didn't want to disturb the flow, but as soon as you mentioned Al-Anon AA, my ears perked up and I thought, here is yet another one. So many people have come to the course through that organization. It almost feels to me at times we're a sister brother organization. And uh, of course, it doesn't take away from the work they're doing with AA at all. Uh, and many people tell me it enhances it. And some some person once said to me, you know, 
Alcoholics Anonymous has a book and it has 12 steps in it. And I always considered the course my 13th step. So I realize that people come to it from all different ways, from all different extremes, usually when they're pretty down. Otherwise, they won't ask, please, there must be a better way. And I just wanted to say that about this organization. A book was written not long ago by a professor at Santa Barbara, and her name is Dr. Taves, Ann Taves. And she wrote about three great American movements. And when she called to interview me about it, I was very surprised because she said the movements that she was researching, and it was all going to be about the transcendent experience or revelatory experience, as she called it. And one was Mormonism, the other was AA, and the third was A Course in Miracles. Mm. So there we are in a book side by side, (laughs) published by Princeton University Press. And I thought, so much is going on in the world I don't know about, but I'm always glad when I get someone who comes and tells me that uh, we're really all connected, that it is so circular. When you're asking for help, it's there in so many different ways. A Course in Miracles is not singular. It's so interesting that you said that because I myself have always thought of A Course in Miracles as a 13th step as well. That's well, crazy. There we are. <laughs> well, Teresa, uh, can you give us a little background as what happened then between 1988 and then kind of integrating the course principles and how things went on? Actually, before we do that, maybe you could just tell us what you think about the word forgiveness. Like, what does that mean for you when you think about that? A lot of people have a common definition. Others kind of say, well, the way I think about it is this. What? How do you think about forgiveness? Oh, yeah. So I... <laughs> Something that kind of blew my mind and really helped me understand about forgiveness as it is presented in A Course in Miracles was um, understanding that the word that Jesus used in Aramaic was mistranslated when the Bible was recorded later on into uh, Hebrew and Greek. And the original word that he used was Shabbat, which means to divorce or detach oneself from something, to unlatch or unhinge. And later on, that word got translated to pardon. And so I, I was raised Christian. I grew up Methodist, and I always understood forgiveness to be to mean somebody insulted me, injured me, or offended me in some way, and I was going to be the better person and rise above it and um, say, I forgive you, and I'm going to let you off the hook for what you did, which, right. of course, the Course says is making the making it real. And when I heard that definition of forgiveness as to detach, divorce from something, it suddenly made sense in my mind what the Course describes as understanding that nothing really happened and there's nothing really to forgive. In other words, for me, forgiveness is to stop putting a lot of attention and energy into this idea that someone did something to me and to detach from that concept and and just follow my path, my own path, and not be all caught up energetically in what other people are doing. Yeah. Well, the course certainly is along that line. And since the course is a system of non-duality, meaning that the world we see in form and the lives we seem to be leading 
is nothing more than an illusion, and our reality lies in God uh, as one. We are not separate individuals. We're not separate from anything. We're all the thought of God, which is so hard for so many people to see because it's the opposite of what the world teaches us. And then when forgiveness is presented as recognizing as what the other has done to you has never really happened in truth. It makes it much easier to look past the error that you are making and perceiving him or her as of hurting you. And the fact that if it doesn't really exist in truth, it certainly exists in the dream. But let me go to the level of truth. Let me ask for higher help. Let me ask the Holy Spirit. Let me ask my inner guide, my higher teacher, to explain this to me and help me change my mind about this person. I was also thinking about what uh, you know. You're saying it. It means detach in Aramaic, and also you know the Buddha is saying attachment causes suffering. And mm-hmm. it's like wow, it's all just one teaching here, uh, spoken in different ways. So true. Well, Teresa, I understand you have a, your own personal story of forgiveness and healing with your sister. Would you like to share that? Yes. Actually, I have many, many <laughs> stories of forgiveness, but this was one of the major ones for me in my life. I have a sis- I only have one sister, and she's only 11 months younger than me. So when we were children, we were very, very close. We did everything together. And then when we got to be teenagers we started to have different interests and different friends and travel in different circles. And I always felt very sad that we did not retain the the close relationship that we had when we were younger. I really wanted to hang out with her and do things with her, but she wasn't interested in hanging out with me. So we kind of went our separate ways. We had a few fights in high school and then she went off to college in Florida And she met a fellow there in college um, that she ended up marrying. So she stayed in Florida and basically never came back. And I had a career that took me all over the world traveling. So I desperately wanted to have this close relationship with my sister. And I would write to her from overseas. And then whenever I came back to the United States on vacation, I always made an effort to go to Florida and see her. And... um, But she never reciprocated. She never came to visit me. She never returned my letters. When email got invented, I would email her. She never would write back. Um, And I always felt very hurt and rejected by that. Um, And then she never called me. I would try to call her, but she wasn't interested in having phone conversations. And so it just seemed felt like a very one-sided relationship to me. And I told you I found the course in 1988 and I did the first 50 lessons. And what happened for me at that point in time was I got out of that toxic relationship and I met somebody else who was just wonderful and I got married and had three kids. And I basically just let my practice of the course go. I got caught up in worldly things and busy with my career and traveling and whatnot. And I kept the book for all of those years and would open it up occasionally and read from it. And I actually attended a few study groups from time to time, but I never really made it a priority in my life until 2014. I picked the book up from my nightstand one day and it fell open to a passage that said that, um, that in time, 
Okay, I forgot the quote, exact quote, but basically it said that suffering is meaningless in eternity, but tragic in time. Oh, delay. Delay is meaningless in eternity, but tragic in time. And when I saw that line, I thought, oh my goodness, I've delayed doing this workbook for 30 years. What am I waiting for? Why am I contributing to the tragedy in time? I don't want to be part of the tragedy. So I made a commitment to myself right then and there that I was going to complete the course. And I looked at the table of contents and realized that there were 31 chapters. I had never noticed that before. And I thought, if I write a chapter every day, I could read this whole text in one month. And that's what I did in October of 2014. I read the entire text. I didn't understand a lot of what I was reading. I just plowed through. And then I made a decision to begin the workbook lessons on January 1st of 2015. And during the time, the first few months of 2015, I started to have miracles. I started to have big shifts in perception. I started to um, let go of people and things that no longer served me. And I just felt more aligned with Holy Spirit more and more. And my sister at that point in time had pretty much told everyone in the family that she didn't like to talk on the phone and she would not answer the phone if anyone called. But my mom told me that she communicated by text message because she could control the situation. She could respond when she felt like it. And and right about that time, I ended up getting a, a cell phone and I texted my sister and said, hello, are you there? And she texted back and said, who is this? And I said, it's Teresa. And we started texting little by little. And then I can't even explain what happened, but I just felt like there was this huge energetic shift that happened between me and my sister. We, we, we started communicating every single day and then she wanted to come visit me and she asked if she could come. I, at that time I was living in Virginia and she said that her husband had a conference in Washington, DC, and she wanted to know if they could come up and see me. And I was like, sure. So she and her husband came up and stayed at my house and We went sightseeing all over Washington, D.C. for a week and had a lovely time. And then since 2015, basically, we've been in touch every day. And I've been down to Florida to visit her several times. And she's hoping to come up to Pennsylvania and visit me here this year. And it's just like all of the resentment and all of the hurt and all of the tension in our relationship sort of magically fell away. But one of the things that I realized was that all of my previous interactions with my sister had come from a place of ego, that I had been very judgmental towards her and her lifestyle without even realizing it. I just was um, thought I was being helpful by giving her advice and telling her how to live her life. And after I did the course, I realized that that I wasn't being helpful because she'd never asked for my advice or (laughs) asked me to tell her how to live her life. She was living her life just fine without me. And uh, I let go of that need to interfere and just decided to come from a place of being truly helpful and just being supportive in whatever she wanted to do with her life and, and encouraging for her. Wow. So you had this kind of shift in your mind and then saw it play out in perception and form. Totally. Yes. I, I started to see her in a completely different way. And I felt like, you know, the course says that all minds are joined. And I totally felt as though when I 
started to see my sister differently and think of her with love instead of with judgment, it was as if she felt it and responded to it and suddenly wanted to be friends with me. Well, the course tells us that minds are joined. And I think this is a perfect example, even though it's hard to believe. And once in a while, if two people, particularly two people living closely together, say the same thing at the same time, they laugh and think, what a funny coincidence. But it's not a coincidence. Minds are indeed joined. And you can be very sure that when you're healed, you're not healed alone. And I think this is a perfect example of that because you started to feel the healing from, of course, the practice of the Course and recognizing what true forgiveness was. And you were willing to let go of the past. It didn't matter anymore. You were just accepting what is in the present. And of course, she felt it. I I cannot think of a more beautiful example than this one that you picked to tell us, especially since you have so many more. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Teresa, did your sister comment at all? Like, hey, um, I really wasn't that keen on uh, chatting with you before, but now it seems like it's easier. Did she mention anything? Uh, No, and we've never really talked about that. But um, I did tell her about A Course in Miracles, and she did sort of dabble in it for a bit and decided it wasn't for her. And, you know, that's fine. She has her path and I have mine. So. Oh, that's cool. You know, a lot of people, Teresa, I'm sure you're included in that, and I have been too, think that, why should it take so long (laughs) if you decide you would like to be in harmony with your sister, with your brother, with your father, with your mother, with your boss, with your friend. It should happen right away because you've just decided. But of course, it's much more complex than that because we have to undo things that the ego has made. Uh, One of the things or one of the attitudes is called guilt. When we start to release the guilt that we feel about him, oh, I really should be in touch with my sister. It's not right to have a relationship that's fallow. And I I know this so well myself and very poignantly uh, because 34 years ago, my only sibling, my younger sister, and her husband disappeared in a small plane. And they were leaving me, even though they were mostly grown, their three children. And we deeply loved each other at the level, I would say, of a familiar connection. We were the only two but we didn't see eye to eye and we didn't have similar outlooks or practices. Uh, She was an atheist. You know, I certainly was involved with the course. We didn't talk about those things. We got along on the surface pretty well, but right before she and her husband disappeared, I had a week with them up at the beach where they were living uh, in Nantucket. And it was the first time in our whole lives that we'd been alone together and walking the beach and just talking. And although neither of us saw a personality change in the other, we all of a sudden started to hold hands as we were walking on the beach. And we started telling each other things that we'd never said before. And we started to realize that this deep love connection was so dear that we promised each other that if our husbands died first, we as two old ladies would live together. And we laughed with joy at the thought of that. And right before she died, disappeared, actually, a week before, 
uh, she called me and she was crying on the telephone. She lived in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and I lived in California. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, I, I'm just, I don't know why I'm just so blue. And I, I feel like I'm almost hysterical. I'm never going to see you and mom again. I said, of course you are. You're coming to her 80th birthday party next week. And she said, I know, I know it's silly, but I really feel I'm never going to see you again. And a week later, she disappeared in that small plane with her husband. And we never did. I cannot tell you how grateful I am. We had that week together mm. because in that week, I knew in a way, not just letting go of the past and touching each other at the level of love that was so fulfilling, I was ready to be that close to her children. That's so beautiful. As is yours. <laughs> Teresa, I just want to boomerang back to what you said earlier that you were kind of realizing that you're holding your sister in judgment. I have a friend that always says to me, you know, when I give advice, Matt, and I say, when? And he goes, right after I'm asked for it. And I, <laughs> and I think to myself, wow, you know, that's so simple. It's like this Andy Griffith type of wisdom. And uh, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to try to do more of that. But then, as you mentioned, it's like, even if I don't give advice out loud, I'm holding someone in judgment. And there's like a real weight and a gravity to that, that when we release it, we notice that shift. Yes. And one of the other things I found was that I had grievances against my sister and I didn't realize that I was holding on to those kind of uh, grudges. For example, um, in college, she had a chance to go to Europe and I sent her all the savings that I had um, because I never had a chance to go to Europe. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity. I want to, I want to help her and support her. But in the back of my mind, I expected her to pay that money back to me one day and she never did. And I had actually even forgotten about it until 30 years later when I did the course. And I saw so plainly that I had been angry for years that she'd never offered to pay to send that money back to me. And I'm sure in her mind, she thought it was a gift. And, but in my mind, it was a loan. And um, one of the beautiful things I've learned from the course is that true giving, you know, has no expectations. That's a really, really important point, clear across the board, no expectations about anything. Mm -hmm. Because if we have expectations, well, we're set up <laughs> by yes. ourselves for a fall. The Holy Spirit doesn't deal in expectations. The Holy Spirit is there as our teacher. And all of the things that irritate us, puzzle us, make us unhappy, all of those things are perfectly resolvable by turning to the Holy Spirit and asking for help. Uh, I find asking for help in specific things like, please find me a parking space, or I'd like my sister to pay back the money she owes me. That's an expectation. But if you say, please tell me how to think about this, please show me how to feel about this. That's something very, very different. Yeah. Expectations are like a grievance batter. You just put them, I just need a little time to warm up into a grievance. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, Matthew. May I borrow that? Sure, sure. <laughs> well, uh, Teresa, I, we, we really are trying to give as much practical advice as possible. When you get stuck in a, a knot of ego thought storms, or you feel like you're just not in um, forgiveness mode and something's really irritating you or, or bothering you, 
do you have what I call a stop, drop and roll where they teach kids who are on fire at school? Like, Hey, this, this is what you do. Stop, drop and roll to help you get you back on track. Is there anything like that that you have? Um, yes. Although I have to honestly say that since 2015, I rarely get aggravated. <laughs> I mean, I really had a powerful shift from doing the workbook lessons that year and I've continued to do them every year since, but um, I, I so plainly saw how I was, I was the one who was upsetting myself in every circumstance. Anytime that I was lost my peace of mind, it was because of what I had chosen to think and that I could ask for guidance to see things differently and let that upset go. And, and that I didn't want to stay in upset, you know, that I wasn't getting anything from that. So, um, so I do occasionally get irritated. It happens very seldom now. And honestly, before 2015, I, I spent life pretty much in a constant state of irritation. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was always annoyed about something. My husband and I were discussing this yesterday, like um, the wife he had before, of course, miracles and the wife he has now are like two different people. <laughs> I was always giving him a hard time about something beforehand. And now, you know, I'm just delighted to be married to him. And why would I give him a hard time? But <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do, I do like to use, um, the choose again exercise that Diedrich Wolsack has developed when I do come up against something that feels heavy or sticky and I will sit down and journal and write out the steps to that exercise to try to tap into the source of, um, the upset from my childhood, what story I'm telling myself, what belief I took on that isn't that isn't true or wasn't true that I have been unaware of all these years and carried with me until something came up to trigger it. Okay. That's great. That's very helpful. Judy, did you have any th closing thoughts or questions for yeah, Teresa? I'm, I'm feeling very pensive here because Teresa has raised a lot of wonderful concepts and the way she's practicing the course and what she sees as a difference in her life before and after. Uh, I hope people listening recognize this takes a lot of work, guys. It's really worth it. But you do start to see shifts in the beginning. You really do. You get these affirmances, <laughs> affirmations, excuse me, I like the word affirmances, I just made it up, affirmations <laughs> that, that you're, you're going in the right direction. But when you can live your life with so little disturbance because you're living mostly in peace, you've chosen peace, the peace of God is all you want, usually the peace of God is what you're going to get. And that makes everything change. And I particularly love the observation of Teresa's husband, because when somebody notices that you're living closely with and that you love, that there is a change. And I had this happen, although I wasn't present when it happened. My, I have two children when they were in their 20s, my daughter and son. I decided to take a two-week vacation together, trekking up in the Cascade Mountains of the state of Washington. And when they came back, I said to my daughter, who came back to where I lived, and my son went back to where he lived on the East Coast, I said, how was it? And she said, oh, it was really very peaceful. We really had a very good time. We didn't have difference of opinions. We didn't quarrel. And I said, what was the highlight? And she stopped and she looked at me. She said, the highlight was when he was walking a little ahead of me, he turned around and he said, I'm sure glad mom has the course. And she said, really, why? 
And he said, she listens to me now. Mm. <laughs> huh. Oh, wow. I remember, you know, that was like 40 years ago, but I remember that so clearly. I listen. I never knew I didn't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, what a great episode. We're making up words, affirmances, uh, grievance batter, (laughs) anything you'd like to create with us, uh, Teresa, any words you want to create, go ahead, feel free, no pressure. Okay. We'll leave it for next time. But uh, what a wonderful show. Teresa, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your miracle voice. Thank you, Matt. I've really enjoyed it. I love this too. And thank you so much for making us feel so welcome in your life and for letting yourself be part of this family. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Mm